Welcome to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, a foster and adoptive and bio mama and a therapist in private practice. I'm here to help foster mamas feel seen, heard, and supported on their journey. From quick, actionable steps to make your foster care journey easier to interviews with foster and adoptive mamas, the Fearless Fostering Podcast delivers education and encouragement weekly. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Fearless Fostering Podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I'm so excited to be joined today by author Amy Morin. She is a former foster mom as well, and she is a psychotherapist, and she has a lot of wisdom to share with us. Author of one of my favorite mental health books ever written called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, as well as several other books. So thank you for being here, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So would you start by just giving us a little bit of background of your experience in fo- with foster care and being a foster mom? Sure thing. So I started uh, as a foster parent pretty much when I got out of graduate school. I think I was 21 or 22. And it's something I had always wanted to do. And uh, so my husband and I immediately said, let's just start the process and see what happens. So we went through the home study process and uh, and got things rolling, knowing that we just originally wanted to do just respite care to sort of see what it was like. And I was working as a therapist, so I started seeing kids in foster care and I knew some of the struggles that foster parents experienced, as well as I knew what birth parents were going through. I saw a lot of birth parents as well. And so uh, originally our home study said we were interested in kids like four to 12, but we ended up with a lot of teenage girls over the years. And uh, again, originally it was just mostly respite care. Uh, We had some short-term kids that came through sometimes emergencies. We were, we didn't have any biological kids, so we were flexible. So if they called us with a last minute placement, we were often able to do it, even though we weren't sure whether it was going to be for 24 hours till they found another home, or sometimes it was several weeks, sometimes it was several months. Uh, And then when I was 26, my husband passed away. Suddenly he had a heart attack, which you're not supposed to do when you're 26. But I found myself a widow and then had to make the decision, do I want to be a single foster mom? I took a break for quite a while, in fact, but eventually decided to go back to it. I thought, okay, this is something I had always wanted to do. And so a few years after that, I started doing it again. And then um, a few years after that, I got remarried. And fortunately, my uh, husband was on board with with doing that as well. So we had more foster kids over the years. And then, as you know, I wrote an article called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do that went viral and had an opportunity to become an author and decided not to stay in the state of Maine where I had been a foster parent, but now I live on a sailboat in the Florida Keys, which is why right now I don't have any foster children living with me because we live on a boat and it's not really a place for foster kids to live. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that is just amazing to me how you took your desire to do that, to foster children. And even despite your, you know, personal hardships and and sorrow in your life, you found a way to kind of walk that walk of, of practicing what you preach of being mentally strong and demonstrating mental strength and showing up for other people, despite what you were going through personally. So I would love it if you could talk a little bit more about um, just some of the main or your favorite points about from your book, uh, 13 things mentally strong people don't do as far as you would relate them to a foster parent or prospective foster parent. What are some tidbits of advice you could give um, for people who are like, gosh, I'm about to do this really hard thing called foster care. And what do I need for that? 
So, you know, the number one thing in my book is that mentally strong people don't feel sorry for themselves. And the reason that's number one, because that's where I was at in my life. I had lost my mom, my husband and my father-in-law. And I just thought this isn't fair. And as a foster parent, it's something that's easy to do, too. You think, well, this isn't fair. I don't have a, a babysitter. I can't necessarily do the things that birth parents get to do. It's not fair that I don't know what's going to happen six months down the road or next week sometimes. Or you can't go on vacation when you want to go. Or you have to make these tough decisions. There's certain things in the state of Maine that foster kids weren't allowed to do. They can't, for instance, go on a boat. They can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, they changed the rules after a while. Originally, it was they could only go to licensed respite homes if you wanted a babysitter, which was nearly impossible in rural Maine. And so things like that, I think there's moments where we think this isn't fair. I shouldn't have to deal with this. And then I would just remember what these kids had gone through. And I think here's this kid that showed up on a Friday night at my house with a trash bag of all their possessions. They don't know me <laughs> and they don't know what's going to happen to them next week or if they're going to see their birth families again. And I remember at points, you know, feeling bad that I was 23 when I lost my mom. And then I had this foster kid who had lost both of her parents when before she was 10. And I thought, my goodness, who am I to say my life is, is rough. I was lucky. I was fortunate to have the mom that I had. And for as long as I had her. So I think that's one that sometimes we can fall prey to as foster parents is thinking this isn't fair and feeling bad. Um, Another one would be I guess having to do with mistakes, I talk a lot about uh, not repeating our mistakes as foster parents. There's no manual about how to best raise kids. Sometimes the rules that would apply for biological kids don't apply for kids in foster care. They don't necessarily respond to consequences or rewards the same way that a kid might if they had grown up with you uh, from birth. And but sometimes we try to make whatever plan we have work and we try it over and over again. And it's important to be flexible and to know, okay. And then when we do make mistakes, sometimes we uh, maybe don't let them do something that they could have done, or we are, are too strict. Other times we're too lenient. And then you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I let them do that. But to know that we're all going to make mistakes, especially as foster parents, you're learning this and it takes a while to get to know the child and to know what's going to work best for them. And to just learn from your mistakes when you do make them and not to be too hard on yourself to know that, yep, and this is going to be a lot of trial and error to figure out what's going to work best for them. And sometimes it's those simple little changes that we make and uh, we don't necessarily know what might trigger a trauma response from them. And it's hard to figure that kind of stuff out, but you learn as you go and to be forgiving of yourself when you make, maybe make a mistake or you step over the line or you lose your, lose your cool or say something that you uh, know, probably you shouldn't have said, but to know that all of those things are going to happen. That's okay. Learn from them and move forward. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really important. I know I've experienced a lot of mom guilt, especially as a foster mom, just like, did I do this right? Am I doing enough? And that kind of thing. So I really appreciate that encouragement to just do your best and kind of keep being flexible. Like you said, keep adjusting those sales until you figure out, you know, exactly the right thing for this moment. So that's really encouraging. Hey, Foster Mama, I just wanted to make sure you heard about Fearless Fostering, my deeply connected group coaching program for Foster Mamas. Fearless Fostering is reopening for enrollment in January. The program includes a luxury retreat, a curated community of foster mom friends, and ongoing coaching with me. Applications are open now for everyone on the wait list, and there are only 10 spots available for this round of the program. You can join the wait list today at fearlessfostering.com. Was there ever a time as a foster mom where you were like, 
this is, I don't really know how to handle this, even with my experience as a therapist or <laughs> as a seasoned foster mom, where you're just like, uh, I'm not really sure how to handle this. Oh, absolutely. You know, as, as a therapist, I would see uh, foster kids in, in one light and I'd be like, oh, okay. And some things were crystal clear. When they're in your house, you'd think, boy, you get to know them better. Everything's must be so much easier. No, that's not true. <laughs> All the emotions that come along with being a foster parent can cloud your judgment. It's harder sometimes to figure out objectively, like what's going on or why they're reacting in certain ways or why certain things you're doing aren't working. So yeah, there were plenty of times. One kid in particular that comes to mind, he was four and uh, he used to make himself vomit. And his former foster mom basically gave him bread and water um, as a way to say, well, then this won't make you vomit. And so he was coming to my house for for respite care. And so those are her instructions. Just give him a piece of bread with butter on it and a glass of water. And uh, he might make himself vomit, but he's doing it on purpose. I just remember thinking to myself, like, has this poor kiddo had plenty of physical workups? Where are we in terms of his psychological care? It's not normal for kids to make themselves vomit on purpose. If they are, that's there's they're telling us something through that behavior. Mm -hmm. But I can just remember getting those instructions from the foster mom and trying to decide, do I listen to what she tells me that she does? I don't know if this is something that's been recommended by a therapist. If it's along with his treatment plan, do I just do it my own way? And then it was like, do I talk to the guardian and say, do you know this is what's going on? Is here's a mom feeding this kid bread and butter and water. And again, just strange position to be in. And so we did, we addressed it with the guardian and to try to figure out what's going on. And I, I gave my two cents as both the foster mom who was giving respite to this kid, but also as a therapist, like we need to make sure this kid is getting everything that he needs at home. But there were several times like that where I would get a, a kiddo and and be given sort of the, the background on them. There was another girl, it was a teenage girl who had been kicked out of every placement she'd ever been in. And she came with a million warnings about how bad her behavior was going to be. And it was another one of those instances where she showed up with a trash bag on a Friday night and uh, had been kicked out of a, she was with a relative and had been kicked out and burned pretty much every bridge that she had. And uh, so then knowing, okay, here's this kid that they said was aggressive. She could be violent. And those are sort of my, where I drew the line. I was a therapeutic foster mom, but I didn't want to sleep with one eye open. So if I had a kid that I thought was going to be aggressive um, to the point of being violent, I would say no. But uh, something about this kid, I said, yeah, I'll try it until you find another placement. And it turned out she was fine. She never, we did this point system that we started out with and uh, she was really involved from day one, but I knew that something wasn't right because one of the questions she asked me, we're figuring out points like, Hey, what do you want to earn this summer? I knew she was probably going to be with me for the summer. So we sat down and we talked about this point system. She said, yeah, I want to go to the movies. She wanted pizza. She wanted to go to an amusement park. No problem. We set some goals, had a really clear point system, you know, six points is this and 12 points is that whatever it was. But she said, how many points do I need to be able to see my brother? Uh. And it was like in that moment, I thought, oh, somebody has taken away. All she had was a brother. Her, she's the one whose parents had both passed away and she had one biological brother. And it was clear at that moment that that had been used as punishment, that you won't get to see your brother if you're if you're quote unquote bad. So we made it really clear. You can visit brother whenever you want. I don't care how how much trouble you get into. We're still going to make sure that you get to visit your brother uh, as long as that's that. Uh, a healthy thing for you. And it was like in that moment, once she knew, oh, I can see my brother. And when she started earning points, there was one day that entire summer that she didn't earn all the possible points. She'd gone to some summer camp and some kid said something really quite inappropriate to her and she kind of lashed back. But 
that was it. And, uh, and she turned out to be a really good kid who was able to go on to be adopted. But I just remember getting that report about all of her bad behaviors and all the things not to do. And it was again, one of those, do I follow all of this to a T or do I just figure it out for myself? And we basically decided to give her a fresh start when she came and she did really well. Mm-hmm. I love that because I do think that is, you know, the narrative that follows some of these kids is just really not fair given the circumstances, the trauma that they've been through. And like for you even to take the time, thankfully, and as a therapist with your background knowledge to be able to investigate a little bit, what would be the root of some of these behaviors? Because again, kids aren't naturally inclined towards wreaking havoc and making, you know, making life hard for people. They really want to please the adults that are caring for them and things like that. So um, I love that encouragement for all of us just to remember, gosh, Let's just dig a little deeper and and see what the truth might be that we don't know yet about these kids. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So for a mom or dad who's considering foster care, what are some things that you might say, okay, from a therapist perspective and from a mom who's been there perspective, um, what are some things they could do to mentally prepare themselves for this foster care world? So I think some people have this idea that it's going to be like a Hallmark movie that this foster child is going to come in. They're going to be super grateful that you've taken them in and, and everything's going to go great all the time. That's usually not the case. And if that's your expectation, uh, you need to change that before you start taking kids in because the reality of the situation is, is that uh, it's hard and that there, you have a lot of expectations on you in terms of making sure that kids get to appointments and that they go to visits and, and you don't always have a lot of guidance uh, from other people about how to handle certain situations or what to do. And when kids come to your house, sometimes they're really angry and they just want to go see their birth families and they don't want to stay at your house. And uh, so to expect them to be grateful or that you're going to immediately read stories together and and you're going to be one big happy family, it's just not going to be like that. So I think mentally preparing yourself to know that your job is to provide them with food and shelter and everything that they need and to love them. But you have to also be able to do that with knowing that there's no guarantee how long they're going to be with you uh, or what's going to happen in the future, which is really hard to do. And even when, you know, in my case, I knew that I wasn't fostering to adopt. I was just doing more short-term placements. So I knew that they were eventually going to, to move on but we didn't know when, and that was just so uncertain. And But it's true in all cases with foster kids that uh, things can change at the blink of an eye and you just don't know. And to know that sometimes placements don't work out, but it might not necessarily be your fault as well, that sometimes it's just not a good match for one reason or another. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you were a failure. It just might be that a foster child and your biological sibling uh, child aren't a good match or that a foster child needs something that maybe your family doesn't have. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you're bad or that you're ineffective as a foster parent. Um, But to know that there are some places that are better matches and some that aren't. Yeah, that's huge. Absolutely. There's no such thing as like failing at foster care. You're doing the best you can in any given day. And, you know, sometimes that means just figuring out a better place for a kid and that's okay. Right. Okay. Well, I want to switch gears just a little bit to ask you about your newest book that you wrote, 13 Things Strong Kids Do. What is that about? And why did you feel the need to write that book? Oh, good question. So my first book, again, I had no plans to become an author. It just started out as a letter to myself published it online. It went viral and got invited by a literary agent who said, oh, you should write a book. 
and I didn't even know what a literary agent was at the time, but wrote that book thinking, okay, I'm a therapist who wrote a book. But shortly after that book came out, I started having a lot of people ask me, well, how do we teach mental strength to kids? And so that actually led to my second book, which is a parenting book, 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And after that book, I started getting lots of questions from women asking, well, what does it look like to be a strong woman? Because truth be told, a lot of examples of mental toughness are men, they're athletes. So we wanted to say, oh yeah, that's a good point. We should probably talk more about women. And all along, I just kept getting more and more questions about what about my kids? I want my kids to learn this. And a lot of adults would tell me my life could be completely different if I would have learned these things when I was a child. Instead of learning at age 40, if I'd learned this at age 10, things could have been a lot better for me. So I approached my publisher and said, what do you think about a kid's book? And and fortunately, they were on board with it. But I wanted to give kids just simple mental strength exercises that would say, yeah, what do you do when you feel sad? Or how do you even recognize how you're feeling today? Or what about when you're nervous? Or maybe you're going through something at school or something with your friends. How can you handle those situations? I know as adults, most of us weren't really taught how do you handle your feelings? And as parents, we're pretty good at calming kids down, cheering them up, reassuring them, but we want them to know how do they do those things for themselves. So this book is really written for kids and like the eight to 12 year old market is my target range, but I'm finding uh, some parents are reading it to their younger kids and plenty of teenagers are finding it helpful too. I even have some adults that say, oh, I love it because it's simple and I can follow these exercises. So I'm excited about that. But basically, I just wanted to give kids some simple tools that they can remember in the moment. Like if you're anxious or stressed out, smell the pizzas one. It's this really quick breathing exercise that kids will remember how to do. Sometimes we tell them breathe slowly and count to 10, but they don't remember that in the moment. So I wanted to give kids just simple strategies that they could do so that they feel empowered. Like even though I can't control what that bully just said to me, or I can't control that mom said, I can't go somewhere this weekend. Here's what I can control. You can always control your breathing. Love that so much. I am literally like getting it for my kids for Christmas. I'm ready to like oh, good. share it with the world too, because it is so important for kids. And I think too, even as, as foster parents or any type of parents, um, to be able to equip kids in our care with strategies that work that, like you said, they will remember. It's one thing to like learn it one time, but if you don't remember it in your time of need, then what good is it? So really making it simple and applicable is really, really a gift. So thank you for that. I was excited to be able to put it in the world. And then uh, it's been so fun to get pictures of kids reading it. Or I had one kid who loved it so much. He, he wrote me a letter and said, I'd love to give it to all the kids in my class. And so we, we helped make that happen. So then he, the, the entire class sent me a picture that they're reading the book in school. And I think, oh, how wonderful. That is wonderful. And even my husband's a teacher and I feel like I want to give this to him and like give this to like the teachers in their school because it's very important, you know, that the social emotional side of learning is just as important, if not more important um, than the stuff that they're, they're learning through, you know, math and writing and things like that. Definitely. Yeah. I think when we teach kids, like, how do you deal with anger? Because it doesn't matter how good you are at math, but if you have a horrible temper that you can't control, yeah. you're probably not going to be that successful <laughs> in life. So I'm hoping exactly. that this book will give kids those tools that they need. Huge. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest. I want people to be able to connect with you and follow you and get a hold of your amazing books and resources. So where's the best place for people to find you online? My website is Amy Morin, LCSW, as you know, licensedclinicalworker.com. <laughs> and on there, you can find links to my books and my other resources. Awesome. Well, thank you, Amy, for your wisdom. And we look forward to see what is next for you and just keeping following along with you. Well, thank you so much for having me. 